up on today's show, All Eyes and the Rivers in the South. We'll get an update from Tiffany Lazay, the Chief Meteorologist for Global Calgary, and Sarah Offen, a reporter who's keeping a close eye. We'll also chat with Dr. Donald Abelson about the health of democracy in Canada and the United States. And we'll talk with a couple who, uh, one is a blood recipient, the other a blood donor. Let's get an update on what's happening with the weather right now because uh, getting a lot of reports about that too. Uh, north of Valley View, sunny and dry. Thank you for the picture. Yeah, it looks beautiful north of Valley View right now. Um, other people saying that they're seeing a lot of rain in some area. Hinton, missing out on it. I just got a text from somebody in Hinton. Uh, of course, it's the southern part of the province where we're keeping a close eye on. And this listener says, I live across the street from a school and a park in Southview in Calgary, pretty far from the flood zone and our water table's pretty low. We've had so much rain the water was just standing around the base of the trees when I drove to work this morning. It looked like a small wetland. So definitely getting a lot of rain in a lot of parts of the province. Tiffany Lazay joins us now, the Chief Meteorologist for Global Calgary. And uh, Tiffany, we were going through some of the um, the rainfall totals that happened overnight. It looks like the farther west you go, even within the city of Calgary, the higher the total is, right? Yeah, which is really funny uh, within our city. And this is very similar to June 2013, where rainfall totals vary widely from north to south and from east to west. Yeah, and I mean, once you get outside of Calgary into the mountains, Bright Creek areas like that, I mean, Kananaskis reporting over 100 millimeters already. How much more is expected mm-hmm. today? Well, it depends where you are. So if you're looking in the uh, Calgary area, we're looking at about 30 to 50 millimeters. In fact, most of central and southern Alberta that will see rainfall today 50 millimeters is kind of that sweet spot that most regions are expecting. Now, if you get in towards the foothills, especially to the west of Calgary, you're going to see heavier amounts, more like 80 millimeters still to fall. And there are going to be some very small areas that still have about 100 millimeters throughout today. So still a lot of rain to come. The good news is, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday, Shay, is we are still seeing that moisture falling in the form of snow in the Rockies and some mid-elevations as well. That's really good because that means that slower melt over the next few days and then that allows the the river system to handle it a little bit better. If we had that quick melt, that would result in uh, more chance of of severe flooding. So like you say, monitoring this closely, are we having any of those? I know lots of times with systems like this, uh, people fear, "Uh uh-oh, it's stalled out and we're getting a lot more rain than if it had... Are any of those sorts of anomalies happening where this system could be better or worse, depending on the way that it's behaving? Well, it is going to stall out today, and so that's what we're expecting. So when we're talking those rainfall totals around that 50-millimeter mark or the, the foothills 80 millimeters, that's because the system is stalling out today uh, over central and parts of southern Alberta. It's hitting up against those mountains, and it's just kind of staying in parts of western Alberta. Throughout tomorrow, though, so tonight we'll slowly start to see it moving east, and then tomorrow it'll push its way into Saskatchewan. It's their problem, mm. and then we'll just see some lingering showers. Uh, but you're right, it is going to stall today, and we are expecting that. Um, now, Tiffany, we're focused on Calgary and area for, for good reason, but you know what? I was taking a look at this on the radar map earlier, and it essentially goes from the border with the United States all the way up almost to Fort McMurray. This is a massive system. What's going on? Oh, yeah, and and up to Slave Lake uh, is what I'm seeing right now, some of that heavier rain. And then that tail end that stretches east goes through 
um, Fort McMurray and, and swinging into like Buffalo Narrows and Laloche and Saskatchewan. So this is a massive system, and it really grew as it as it built over the Pacific, hit the Pacific Northwest, was was fueled by this atmospheric river, and then had kind of the perfect setup to stall over that Alberta Saskatchewan border throughout yesterday and then again today. So yeah, this system uh, is pretty big. And if you look at the the front, the front of the front, the warm front yep. associated with yep. the system, it it merges with another system that's over in uh, Manitoba. So it's pretty spectacular. And I say that lightly because I know we're of course watching a very serious situation uh, when it comes to flooding concerns. But as a meteorologist, I find these types of systems uh, quite fascinating yeah, to watch. Yeah, no question about it. So get through today. Uh, this is going to be the worst of it into the overnight period, and then tomorrow things should start to improve. So if we if we manage to make it through today, the worst will be behind us. Well, and yeah, so rainfall-wise, absolutely. We're going to be really watching those river levels over the next couple of days, yeah. though, because that's when we'll start to see that snow melt in the mountains. So we'll be watching the Elbow River very closely on Wednesday. That's when we're expecting it to peak. And then on Thursday, that Bow River in Calgary. So the rainfall, uh, again, will be somewhat done throughout tomorrow. But that risk of the river overflowing, uh, that risk does extend into Wednesday and Thursday. Gotcha. Tiffany, thank you so much for the update. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. That's Tiffany Lizay, who is the Chief Meteorologist. Uh, for Global Calgary, doing yeoman's work right now. I mean, as she said, this is this is what it's all about for, for meteorologists. It's, it's interesting, and uh, this is where it all comes to bear. So uh, we appreciate her giving us an update. Yeah, the rain continuing to fall all across the province. And, uh, you know, just listening to the Edmonton newscast, and there's reports of, you know, flooding happening on the white mud and things like that. So uh, we're seeing it happen in, in many different areas around the province. Of course, all eyes on Calgary, High River, you know, the, the southern part of the province, keeping a close eye on the situation there. First of all, they're expected to get a lot more rain than we are. And, you know, the memory of 2013 is not that far gone for a lot of people. So a lot of concern. And uh, Calgary's mayor was talking about that yesterday, spreading some words of reassurance. I realize that may cause some fear, some anxiety for Calgarians, especially those who went through this in 2013. I can tell you that you're in good hands. We have an incredible team within all our business units who is here to work with us to make sure that we get through this in the best possible way. Yeah, and I'm sure a lot of people feeling a little uneasy and keeping a close eye on the rising water to see how high it may go. To get an update, we're going to chat now with Sarah Offen, who's a reporter with Global Calgary. Uh, Sarah, thanks so much for joining us. Appreciate your time today. I know you're busy. Thanks for having me. What are you seeing? Bring us an update. Where are we? is Is the river continuing to rise? The river is indeed continuing to rise and the rain has been continuing to fall. It's, um, it's, Somewhat dropped off here slowly. I don't mean the river. I mean the rain that we're seeing okay. falling in Calgary itself. But um, but there is still rain. There's still wind as well, which isn't making things pleasant outside. But, uh, of course, what we're worried about is all that runoff that's coming out of the mountains as well. So right now, what I'm looking at, I'm standing above uh, Center Street, which is where this berm has been created to try and protect the community of Sunnyside, which is uh, just directly north of the river from the downtown area. So this long stretch of Memorial Drive closed down overnight starting at midnight and city crews have been working since then to build up this uh, pretty extensive berm um, 
And, uh, yeah, just as a precaution, they have also closed some pathways in this area. They're concerned about some slope stabilization with that slope that sort of overlooks that area. And, um, and they have evacuated a couple of homes overnight as well, again, just as a precaution. Yeah, and, and that local state of emergency. Uh, and like you say, that area was one of the areas I heard talked about. Also to the west, Boness, um, there was some concern about that as well. I mean, in terms of what's happening citywide, is there a lot of activity happening or is it mostly focused where you are now? Well, you, you certainly notice more emergency crews that are out and about. And in fact, there was a, a collision with a, a fire truck here uh, just in the last hour. Or so uh, emergency crews are asking people to really watch out for those um, crews that are out and about right now. You're certainly hearing um, sirens that are sort of around, especially in the northwest area, um, because uh, city crews are pretty pretty busy working, not only those construction crews that are working on the berm, but also um, just emergency management and, and frontline workers that are are trying to mitigate any potential damage here. I know you're in Calgary, of course. Are you getting reports from other areas? Because we know that High River's, you know, keeping a close eye on things and more rain seems to be falling to the west of Calgary than Calgary itself. How are things going in other parts of the province? Have you heard? Well, from what I understand, the 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 risk level in areas like Banff, Canmore, Exshaw have been downgraded um, a fair bit overnight. High River, however, their their flood forecasting, they've now been put on a watch. Um, it looks like we could see some flooding there, but there was supposed to be a press conference at some point this morning. I'm not sure if it has happened yet. Jill Croteau, one of our reporters, is, is headed down there today, and of course she'll be talking to some of the people she spoke with in the 2013 flood uh, as well, um, because this is still very fresh in their mind, I'm yeah. sure, and this is a little reminiscent for them. Um, and of course, uh, all keeping an eye on the weather forecast, and we know that you know it was maybe the halfway point of this era, but more rain was expected to fall into uh, the overnight period. And by this time tomorrow, we should have a pretty good idea of how bad it's going to get, right? Yeah, I understand the city expecting that things should peak sort of late Wednesday, potentially um, even Thursday. So that's something we'll definitely be watching. I mean, right now, when I look over... Um, just sort of Princess Island, right in that downtown core area. The water is high for sure. If you've ever been through Calgary, I think anybody would notice that right away. We're starting to see more of that debris in the water as well. It looks like floodwaters, but it has not yet broached the banks, um, at least not in the location that I'm looking at, and it looks like it's got a ways to go. So we'll hope that city crews can uh, get ahead of it as much as possible, and we'll definitely be testing out some of the the flood mitigation, the, the permanent flood mitigation efforts that they have been up to. Um, you know, over the last nine years as well. Yeah, exactly. A lot of work has been done, so hopefully things go just fine. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for the update. I really appreciate it. Thank you. That is Sarah Offen, a Global Calgary reporter who's been uh, down by the river, keeping an eye on the situation in uh, Calgary. Um, yeah, Memorial Drive has been closed, I think, since uh, last night um, as it runs along the river there, making sure that it doesn't get uh, flooded. I know Bonas, there was some concern there. But, you know, just taking a look at some of the rainfall totals, if you take a look at what's going on in Calgary, it's really interesting because depending on where you are, um, it really can change. Uh, if, you, if you're talking about COP, which is, you know, pretty far west, really, um, the west side of uh, Calgary, they've got 40 millimeters. Um, just 26 out at the airport, which is on the north side of the Deerfoot. And then you go to Springbank, 47 
Meanwhile, in Kananaskis country, a volunteer rain station reported a level of 112 millimeters. So the farther you go west, the more rain. And unfortunately, that water that's falling farther west eventually will make its way into Calgary. So that's, as she said, keeping an eye on, you know, where the water comes from the mountains is going to be the next step here. Uh, Claire's home looking at about 47 millimeters, Pincher Creek 49, Crow's Nest Pass 64. Now, this was overnight. There's been more since then. And um, according to Tiffany Lizay, who we had on earlier, could see could see 30 or 40 more millimeters in Calgary itself, up to 80 millimeters in the foothills, and as much as 100 in some localized areas where they see a ton of rain. So we're not out of the woods yet. Sort of a response, but... Um, on the weekend, the U.S. ambassador to Canada joined Mercedes Stevenson on the West Block, and he was doing a little discussion around the state of democracy in not only Canada and the United States, but around the world. And he said this, Canada and the U.S. are facing rough patches in their democracies as populist authoritarian movements continue to find traction in the West. Now, if you listen to this show, you know I have grave concerns about this. I've talked about it a lot, the rise of populism and the hyper-partisan political climate that we have, which I think does a whole lot more to divide and harm society than it does to help anybody anywhere. It's just, it's destructive. Uh, I've also said before that I think the United States is much farther down that path than Canada is, but, but we're on the path. The U.S. system, I think, is badly broken, barely functioning in reality at this point. Um, But we see signs of us inching our way closer to that here in this country, too. Nowhere near. I I, I don't want to draw parallels, but we've seen it in other parts of the world, too. And, you know, who knows where this goes And uh, as we see this rise of of populism. So we're going to chat now with Dr. Donald Abelson, who's the director of the Brian Mulroney Institute of Government, the Stephen K. Hudson Chair in Canada-U.S. Relations, and professor in the Department of Political Sciences, at St. Francis Xavier University. Uh, Dr. Abelson, thanks so much for joining us. I appreciate your time today. Oh, my pleasure to be with you, Shay. This is a topic that I spend a lot of time thinking about, and to be honest with you, worrying about. Do you agree with the ambassador? Is is democracy under some pressure in Canada and the U.S. right now? Uh, there's no doubt. And when you look at the rise of populism, as you just alluded to, Much of that is connected to declining trust in government institutions, declining trust in elected officials, certainly declining trust in the outcome of elections, which which we've seen in the United States for the last number of years, leading to the January 6th uh, insurrection and the hearings uh, that have been taking place. And so it's it's so critically important uh, for governments on both sides of the border to figure out how they are going to restore trust. Uh, and because if that falls away, if it continues to be chipped away, it's going to give uh, rise to you know more populist candidates, more populist movements who question the very integrity of government and the services provided both to Canadians and Americans. So it's it's a real threat. Uh, it's something that has to be addressed, uh, but it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of effort and a lot of focus uh, on both sides of the border. So the question I have, Doc, and I agree with you 100%, but but this, this populist movement, it's always been around. It's always existed in some sure. capacity in politics in Canada and the U.S. Um, when you talk about that erosion of trust... 
How does that happen? Is it the people? Because um, we know there's people that are actively working to erode that trust each and every day, and some minds, uh, some names immediately spring to mind. Why is it being more effective now? What's going on? Well, I think there have been a number of factors that have come together almost like a perfect storm. I, I mean, when you think about what has happened over the last, you know, three or four years, uh, you have, the, you know, the Trump victory in, in 2016, uh, you know, to 2020, and many of the problems that arose from that, telling lies, uh, creating a different narrative, an alternative narrative, people who are feeling disconnected and disillusioned and disheartened. Uh, tend to look to other parties, other candidates who are prepared to listen and give some credence to their views. So as the anger and frustration and discontent among voters build, it's not surprising that we see many people aligning themselves, not with mainstream political parties, but with populist movements. And we have seen this over the years. Uh, There are dozens of examples of uh, you know, third parties in the United States. Uh, there certainly have been ways of, of strong populist leaders, not only in North America, but throughout Europe and, and, and other parts of the world. But a lot of that really is connected to how voters perceive government. Uh, do they trust? Do they not trust it? Um, and now, you know, focusing on, you know, the the very cornerstone of democracy, free and fair elections. So if you get to the point, as we already have, where you have literally millions, not thousands, but millions of people in the United States that continue to question the outcome of the 2020 election, then you really have a problem. And you have to try and figure out how to step back, try to figure out how to repair a system, which, as you correctly pointed out, is certainly broken. How do you get this country back on track? Because what happens in the United States often spills mm-hmm. over into Canada, and we've, we've been seeing that in the last number of years in our own country. Yeah, most definitely, no question. Uh, one of the things that Cohen talked about, and I wonder if you think it's as big of a deal as he does, um, Russia, China, other outside governments, uh, anti-democratic uh, regimes perhaps, sowing you know, misinformation, distrust. We know they do a lot of work around that very effectively. Do you think that's part of it? Oh, it's a huge part of it, uh, because it's all about shaping the discourse around important issues. So for those organizations, those countries who are effective at spreading lies, misinformation, disinformation, that is an extremely powerful tool. And if it is consistent, if it's methodical in terms of the approach that they take, it is incredibly damaging. And, you know, step back for a second. It is in the interest of countries like Russia and China to do that, to undermine the stability uh, of, of their adversaries in order to achieve stronger political and economic gains on the world stage. So both the United States and Canada, as well as other countries around the world, have to be incredibly vigilant. And it, 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 it's almost like arguing with a conspiracy theorist. You're never going to win that debate. But you still have to figure out what mechanisms to put in place that will at least allow you to protect democratic institutions and ideals. Um, 
The ambassador says that he's optimistic. Democracy will survive. We'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think ultimately it will. I, I think most people recognize how important it is that doc- democracy does survive. But like when we, I mean, and I, again, Canada and the United States are extremely different. But I take a look at the U.S. and it could go either way, Doc. It really could. Well, you know, when you, when you have very prominent scholars and journalists writing about the possibility of a civil war in the United States, they're not kidding. Yeah, yeah. And when you, you know, we had the U.S. midterm elections just around the corner in November. Uh, most pundits are predicting that, you know, the Republicans in all likelihood could regain control of the House uh, and, uh, you know, take, take the Senate as well. And then you have a very, very different uh, situation in the United States. You'd have a lame duck president that would not be able to get through any legislation that, that he would like. You then will provide even more incentive for those that have become disillusioned to, you know, <laughs> you know, kind of push the cause even further to become more entrenched. So it can't be taken lightly. I agree with Ambassador Cohn that in the end, democracies will prevail, but there's going to be a lot of pain uh, that we're going to go through to get back to that point. Yeah, no kidding. It's going to be a bumpy ride for sure. Dr. Abelson, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate you joining us. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Take care. That is Dr. Donald Abelson, who is the director of the Brian Mulroney Institute of Government, Stephen K. Hudson Chair in Canada-U.S. Relations, and a professor at the Department of Political Science at St. Francis Xavier University. And, you know, it's like he said, it's not, it's not like we're just making things up when we say, boy, boy, the, the very democracy that lies at the core of the United States being what it is, um, is under intense pressure. And there's, you know, we've had scholars, Tom Nichols, you know, uh, has been on the air talking about the death of democracy. I mean, he's got a book on it. And there's a lot of other people that are saying, you know, we really need to be careful about this because it is fragile. We're going to have a chat here that we've talked about before. It's important, and that's why we, we, we bring it up. Um, did you know, for example, that uh, this is blood donor um, week in, in Canada? And it comes at a really good time because right now, um, we're, we're in a bit of a situation. When you take a look at what's going on in the country right now, if you go back to where we were before the pandemic started, we are now, what is it, two and a half years later, whatever the case may be. So from March of 2020 to now, the number of people across Canada who regularly donate blood has dropped by 31,000. There's this core group of people who donate over and over and over to Canadian blood services. They really are the backbone of the organization. 31,000 of them have gone away over the course of the pandemic. And the hope is, of course, that they're going to come back and bring some friends with them. Um, But it wasn't as big of a deal over the course of the pandemic because realistically, the demand for blood really slowed down over the course of the pandemic. Think about it for a second. Travel, that's a big part of it, you know, that kind of thing. Activity, people out doing things, everybody sat at home. So, you know, we weren't having as many injuries and things like that where blood is needed. Surgeries weren't happening in a lot of places because of the healthcare system. You know how many surgeries were postponed and or canceled, right? So the demand for blood was much less than it typically is, but that's starting to to ramp up now, and unfortunately, a lot of the people who, you know, just forgot or couldn't or it wasn't possible, or whatever the case may be, to donate over the course of the pandemic haven't come back yet. So the situation's getting 
pretty dire. And um, the push is on to try and get people back through the door and uh, get donations back up to where they need to be. The system is, it's national, right? So people who donate in one part of the country, that blood product they're donating may end up in another part of the country that needs it. So it's all linked together. It's a massive system and it relies basically on you and I and our friends and family to go through the door and donate blood. And to find out why it's so important, we've got a couple of great guests today. We're going to chat with Liz and Glenn Cook. One's a plasma recipient, one's a blood donor. Since 2014, uh, it all sort of started around the same time for very good reason. Liz, Glenn, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for having us. We're yeah. happy to, to, to be the spokespeople. <laughs> Liz, let's start with you. You, you came to need um, blood in a very... This way, you know, reading your story, I'm kind of surprised. I, I don't think I've ever heard this before. Tell us what happened. Yeah, it was dramatic. So in uh, November 2005, I had a dodgy hamburger that was tainted with E. coli and Campylobacter. So those are two different kinds of food poisoning. And um, after about a week, it developed into something quite rare called hemolytic uremic syndrome. And what that is, is basically your blood just uh, destroys itself and it clogs all your organs. And I was, uh, I, I was living in Grand Prairie at the time and I was airlifted down to the U of A. <clears throat> and uh, they told me that it looked like my blood had been through a blender. Uh, yeah. Uh, they could only identify seven platelets, and um, that's uh, you're supposed to have hundreds of platelets. So um, what what the, this HUS did is it clogged my kidneys to the point where I was in complete renal failure, and I needed to have something called plasmapheresis, which is where they spin your blood through a centrifuge take off your plasma and give you donor plasma. And um, just to give you an idea, plasma generally is kind of the goldenrod color of a McDonald's French fries. Okay. My blood was chocolate brown. Oh, my goodness. So it was, I, I was mostly dead at the time. So that's when blood services entered my life. I immediately had in uh, transfusions of packed cells, whole blood, and mostly plasma. So altogether, I received over the months that I was in the hospital getting treatment, I received 498 units of blood and plasma. What? Which in is, a month? Yeah, for real. 498 units, mostly plasma, because each treatment was 15 to 20 bags of plasma. But this number, that 498, is approximately what the clinic in Edmonton gathers in a week. So for an entire week, people went to work, ate their cookies, donated, you know, people cleaned the clinic, all that, all that for one week saved my life. So I owe them a bit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, but that's just, it's an incredible story. Now, Glenn, this yeah. is when you became a donor, right? <laughs> I mean, this yeah. is when you sort of jumped in. <laughs> well, this all happened um, well before I met Liz. Um, but, you know, we met, actually, it was uh, 10 years ago today. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, of course, she told me this story. And, uh, you know, donating blood was something I had thought about for a while. Um, but, you know, I finally uh, got up and, and made the appointment. Um, my first appointment was in uh, October 2014. And this was after we were married. And so... Um, at that point I was doing whole blood donations, uh, probably for the first seven or eight times I went. And, uh, so, you know, you have to wait about six to eight weeks in between those. And then one day I went in and there was a sign up on the bulletin board asking for, uh, plasma donors, uh, O positive plasma donors, which is my blood type. And so I called 
the uh, the one eight 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 number and uh, made an appointment to donate plasma. And so I did that for about I did that every other week um, for I don't know four or five years or so. Okay. And then pandemic started. I started going every week. So yeah, I um, was supposed to do my two <laughs> hundredth uh, blood donation. Um, uh, this past Tuesday, but unfortunately it came down with COVID uh, <laughs> right before then. So that's been pushed back a little bit, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm helping replenish the stock. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's like my carbon offset, but for blood. Hey, I, I wonder, Glenn, as someone who's done this for a long time, what was it like when the pandemic happened? Did you have to pause? Was there new procedures? What was it like during COVID to be a blood donor? Uh, the procedures changed in the clinic. Uh, quite a bit. Um, you know, they're, obviously they were taking a lot of precautions. Um, you know, I joked with Liz when I, when I was going that, you know, that was the place I was the least worried about, you know, that they, yeah. they had, they were very clean. They were taking all sorts of precautions. Um, so yeah, when, uh, when the pandemic hit, I just figured, you know, they'll need it more than ever. You know, I, I imagine a lot of donors were, were um, pausing or whatever, so that's when I decided to to step it up and go every week. Plus, he got to get out of the house. <laughs> <laughs> now, as we go along, did where's what's your relationship, Liz? I know, like my wife, I, I've talked about it on the air before. She went through a stem cell transplant back in 2015 or 16. I can't remember which, um, but she received a tremendous amount of blood, and now she's really into helping Canadian Blood Services. Obviously, you're on the air talking about this, so same sort of thing. You recognize how important this is now, and now you're giving back. Absolutely. It's, I actually can't donate now, um, just because it's a long story, but to do with the, the, uh, the E. coli tainting, but, um, I, uh, I, I owe them my life. Like there's no question that I would be dead without blood services. My husband, uh, we wouldn't be married. I would be gone. So I, it's sort of my mission to do as much as I can for blood services. Uh, you know, and if I'm ever able to donate like, it'll be a media event. So you're invited. (laughs) I I absolutely, um, I absolutely know how important it is. And, and I just, I encourage everyone to give it a try. I know there are people who have tried and they say, Oh, you know, I fainted or, Oh, well, maybe give it another shot. Maybe you didn't have enough water. Maybe, you know, this is so important and you never, you never know. I had a hamburger. Yeah. I had a hamburger. That's all it was. And and I, I was in hospital for a month and needed this much blood. You never know. It, maybe next time it's your loved one. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's a loved one. Um, and it and blood is needed in so many odd circumstances. We all think about, you know, maybe cancer or uh, car accident. Car crash, yeah. Exactly. But it, it uh Women that that are giving birth, maybe they need a unit of blood. Or, uh, you know, you cut your finger really badly. Maybe you need a unit of blood for that. You never know. Um, It it just, it's so important that if you are eligible to donate, that you get out and donate if you can. It's just, it's so simple and it's so easy and you will save a life. What what other thing can you do that will save a life? No, you're absolutely right. They're cookies. Delicious cookies by George. Now, that's the thing, Glenn. They still have the cookies. They still have the juice. I mean, when you walk in, it's still that wonderful, you know, they, they really do make it worth your while, don't they? <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, <laughs> love the juice. Uh, the only change has been they just ask you to um, uh, actually eat outside of the clinic. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. 
but you know that's that's really the only change that's come there. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, take but, your cookies home. Yeah. Nothing wrong with that. Still cookies. Liz, Glenn, thank you so much for coming on and sharing the message. It's so important. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you you so much for having us. We really appreciate it. And I know Blood Services does too. Yeah, absolutely. You bet. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks. Have a good day. That is Liz and Glenn Cook. And as you heard, uh, Liz, a recipient of blood products, hundreds of them, after she ate a burger. Can you imagine? She had a... A burger, and it was tainted with E. coli, and basically, it, you know, her life was was threatened. So, uh, she needed the blood to survive. And Glenn has been a blood donor since 2014. As I say, I, I've got a bit of a soft spot here because without the blood products, I, my wife wouldn't be here either when she had her stem cell transplant. I, I, and you know, like Liz said, what else can you do to save a life? I mean, think about it. Really, how easy is it, right? You just you go and you do this, and literally, you're going to save people's lives. So what they want, what they would like to see is over the course of Blood Donor Week, which is on right now, as we speak, they first of all need to get back that 31,000 uh, that they lost over the course of the pandemic, but they would like to see 100,000 Canadians sign up if they could. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.